Good morning. Welcome to Spirit of Prophecy Church, everyone. Welcome to Purple Day. <laughs> Resurrection Sunday. We're so glad to have everyone here this morning with us. Celebrating an exciting moment that the world recognizes. Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And so we want to make sure that we are doing the same and understand the meaning and give him all the glory. Amen. All right. So first intercessory prayer is on the first and third Tuesday of every month. So if you want to join an intercessory prayer, it's a Zoom meeting. So you can join from wherever and we intercede for our nation and for others. If you have prayer requests, you can send those in. Go to contact at spiritofprophecychurch.com and send us your prayer request. Or you can go to our website and fill out the contact form. Um, here local, you guys can reach out to Barb and she'll make sure to get you guys that information. So if we are not a pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, what what are we? Intercessors. If we are a pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, we are intercessors. So we are all intercessors. It starts with us. That's the core. We cannot become anything else without learning how to pray and how to pray and intercede for others. So make sure you join the intercessory prayer the first and third Tuesday of every month. All right, so next we have um, Church in the Park. That's going to be on May 7th. Make sure you get the, um, the flyers that are going to be handed out to you, and they're also back at the front table. That is going to be on Sunday, May 7th. Be there at 10 a.m., and bring the foods that you're signing up to bring. And that is on this one. If you want to go ahead and hand that to Sharonda. Um, let us know if you're coming and also what you're bringing. And remember the rule of thumb. You bring it, you take it. <laughs> your platter, your responsibility. So um, even if it's a disposable platter, make sure that it's either handed off to someone to take home. Or you take it back to be washed or whatever it might be. <laughs> sometimes we're left with all these dishes and we don't know what to do with them so um that will be on may 7th again if you want to hold that for me please all right next we have bible study is coming back we're so excited for that so um while pastor stan is talking about that we're going to pass around the bible study sign up sheets okay so we, uh, we talked about this, and I think most people will agree that the most important thing that a church can have is a Bible study, because the foundation of the church is how much the people know the Bible. Would you agree? Yes. This is a participate part. Yes. Okay, thank you. One person said yes. Okay, so there's two ways to do the Bible study. The easy way, for me at least, would be to just simply turn it on and upload it every Friday night from my desk, just like I make the Daily Prophecy Club programs. That would be the simplest. However, that might not be the best for everybody concerned. So, we talked about it, the leadership meeting, we decided that probably the best thing to do would be to simply set up one of the cameras in the, the, the fellowship area, several people have asked for us to go back to having fellowship where we pray and then we, we uh, sing a, a song or two and then we go into Bible study and it starts at 7 and then it's over at 8.30. 
and we would just have one camera and I would be mic'd up and then we would hand around a handheld mic to the people as we go around the room and pray or, and, and read the various parts of the Bible. That's a whole lot more work. But the one thing it takes is bodies. So if we're going to do it that way, then I need commitments. We figure the way it would look good, have at least four people. So I want you to try to imagine this for a minute. So we have a camera set up. We're sitting at tables in the fellowship area. And I'm at the head of the table, and I'm mic'd up, and we have a handheld mic to hand around. Well, if we have at least four people, then we can bring that into the shot and have various people read, and then we can still sing our songs or our, our hymns and things like that. But we have to have a commitment to have four people there. So I want to take a vote. How many of you would be willing to be on a sign-up sheet, and if you sign yourself up, you really, really will be there from actually probably about 6.30, but it'll actually start from 7 to 8.30. So how many people would be willing to be on a sign-up sheet to come to the Bible study? That's what, 6, 8, 7, 7, 8, 8, 9? You're thinking about it. 9, 10, 11? Okay, good. Then we're going to hand around this sign-up sheet and... Uh, I need to have at least four people there, but of course, someone might not be able to come at the last minute. So I'd like to have at least six people sign up each Friday night. Again, it'll actually be broadcast from 7 to 8.30. We probably should show up more like about 6.30, from 6.30 to 8.30. So I'm looking for six people every Friday night. And if I don't get enough people, then I'll just move it to the house, and just, which would be a whole lot easier on me. Just uh, turn on the... But we want the fellowship. Yeah. But that, that, that doesn't have the fellowship. So if you want the fellowship, then you gotta, you got to put it in the flesh. <laughs> have the flesh show up. But bring the spirit too, right? Okay, so what we're going to do is start this Friday night. Let's have everybody be here at 6.30. Get all the chairs set up, all ready to go and then we'll go live at 7 o'clock. If you can't be here, then call Freddie and let Freddie know that you can't be here. And Freddie's in charge. Oh, did I did talk to you about that, right? <laughs> Freddie's going, I don't remember. I don't remember us discussing it. So would you volunteer to do that? Would you volunteer to do that? Now, now you know how the kingdom of God works, right? So let Freddie know if you cannot be here so that he can arrange to have at least four people. So your job is every Friday night to see that at least... <laughs> so he points to his children. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, moving right along. Okay, is there any other... Okay, oh, all right, okay, we're... <clears throat> Actually, let's do that in my talk. There's, there's the best. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, uh, are you doing an offering talk? Do you want me to? Well, you know, every, every, the, the biggest thing that pastors do not like to do is to take offerings because everybody thinks, 
Oh, well, they're just trying to get money for themselves. Yeah, if, if that's your attitude, then you misunderstand. We don't give to Stan and Leslie or to Spirit of Prophecy Church or anything on earth. We give to God. And I was thinking about this this morning. There's only one place in the Bible where God basically says, I dare you. Where God basically says, if you will do this, I promise you this will happen. And that is in uh, Malachi 4.3. That's not the correct verse. Malachi, like 4.5, I think it is. Where he says, oh man, I just lost it. How, how's the word? If you give, I, I will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He promises that he will give it. Now, there are some places that the Bible specifically says that we can get more blessings. If you give to someone that cannot repay, if you give to a widow, to an orphan, and you might call that homeless, although that's not officially the title. Yeah, fatherless. In other words, people that are really, really hurting. Matter of fact, let me just challenge you. If you want to really be blessed in your giving, this week, pray and ask God. We're not going to do it now. Pray and ask God, say, show me someone to give, someone that's really hurting. Someone that when I give to them, it'll bring tears to their eyes. And you will discover that within a week or two, you will have that opportunity to come up. And then you better be ready to give. And let me also suggest, I, I seldom say, how much do you need? A few occasions, a few, but seldom. Most of the time when he lays on my heart to give, if he lays on my heart to give, he'll also lay on my heart the amount to give. Matter of fact, I had an occasion just this week where someone, uh, not in this room, someone said, okay, I'm in a real jam. I talked to Leslie about it, and we both agreed to give this much. So I sent him this much, and then the Lord started speaking in my heart. That's not what I told you to send. I know. But Leslie said, no, Leslie's not responsible. You're the one that asked to bring you someone that you could give, someone that is in need, someone you could help. You ask, and I told you the amount, and you sent half the amount. So as soon as I could get out of the shower, and by the way, the Lord talks to you in some strange positions sometimes, right? Okay. See, that's how you know this really happened. So I could not get out of the shower fast enough and drive fast enough to go and turn my computer on to jump onto PayPal and send them the other half. And then I called Leslie and I told her, I said, I know we both agreed to that amount, but I said the Lord kept laying on my heart. No, you, you, you have to give out of love of your heart. We have to give hoping for nothing in return. And I've had people call and say, you know, I, I got a little problem, you know, uh, not in this room. Someone, again, I'm not talking about anyone in this room. 
Someone calls, I got a little problem. I need this much. Can you? Yes. I don't want to hear any, oh, sad stories, you know, our world's going to fall apart. I don't need to hear your sad stories. I don't, I don't want to hear, I don't want you to beg because it's not about you. It's about him. Amen. So I listen in here. What he tells me to give, here's what I do. I give, I walk away, I don't look back. I don't call, did you get it? I don't call for a thank you. I don't call asking for some favor down the road. I don't give to them. I give to him. Okay? And I also don't look to see if he gives back. I don't keep track. I don't say, okay, God, I gave this much. No. We give. We walk away. But God has said, prove me now herewith. It's the only time in the Bible that says it. Prove me now herewith if I will not open the windows of heaven. I have seen times where I gave and it was like, really? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're a giver, then you understand exactly what I'm saying. Your head is going like this. Really? That much? Say that one more time. <laughs> and then the very next day. Sometimes before, I'll, I'll give you another example. So he laid in my heart to send a check. It wasn't one of these size checks, it was one of these size checks. One of those where, I think that'll clear. <laughs> okay, it, it was, it's a big one. And he said, send the check. So, yeah, have you seen that movie, Liar, Liar? Where he's saying, blue, no, and he's... <laughs> Write it or I'll break it off. You know, <laughs> it's, it's some, it was one of those kind of checks. I wrote out the check, put an envelope, addressed it, put the stamp on it. I walked it out and I put it into the mailbox. Less than an hour later, someone, again, not in this room, rang the doorbell and handed me the exact amount in cash that would cover the check. I can tell story after story after story after story after story. And I will tell you this. I look back and my financial problems were because I was not giving. I started to say when he tells me. But you have to ask, Lord, show me someone to help. Start praying that prayer. It's real quiet in here. But am I right? Yes. I'm, I, though you, those of you that are givers know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not a giver, it's going... Woo! I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but giving is a blessing. Giving is a blessing. Now, I'm not saying that to try to get you to put something in the bucket. I don't care because Prophecy Club doesn't provide for me. 
Spirit of Prophecy Church. Come on, right? Spirit of Prophecy Church doesn't provide for me. That's my provision. I'm just trying to tell you a little secret I discovered. And I discovered when you give, he gives back. Press down, shaking together. And it helps to give with the right attitude. So, anyway, I think this one over here is the church, right? Yes, sir. Go ahead and leave. Yeah, I don't know. Just, you can make one trip up here. Okay, so that's for the Spirit of Prophecy Church. That's for the missions. And, you know, here's another thing. I've been praying, Lord, I would like to go to Honduras and do one of those crusades down there. But that cost about $15,000. More than that. And you know what? He'll provide. He'll provide. Lord, I hope that what I said about my giving was okay in your eyes. Because I don't want to to give away any of my secrets. Giving is a secret. Right hand's not supposed to know what the left hand does. He doesn't want us to be begrudgingly. Lord, it's been a while since I've given. Not, not, that's not true now. I mean, we, we give all the time. But I'm just saying that there's a time. Lord, it's been a while since I've given. Show me someone in need. Show, show me someone. And, you know, maybe that's the church. Maybe that's not the church. But believe me, there's not a pastor in the land that will tell you that. Because they want it all to come to the church. But you don't provide for a spirit of prophecy, church or Stan, or Leslie. That's our provision. Oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I, theoretically. Not theoretically. I know. Press down, shaking together, running over. Lord, <clears throat> the thing I ask today is not just that you'll bless them for what they give. They know, and you know. That's going to happen. But I ask you to lay on their heart to ask you. To ask you to teach them, to show them about giving. To show them that you are faithful. And to continue to show them places, people that are hurting, so that they can give in Jesus' name. And by the way, a lot of times he starts with something small. It might be just a tip to the waitress. It might be a homeless person. You want to be a good keeper, Sometimes it starts small. But in my case, yeah, well, I hadn't been given for years. You know, I wasn't much of a giver. This is back when I lived in Kansas. And so it took a while for me to kind of catch up. I had some past given I had to, to, to catch up on. Anyway, Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you give us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, praise and worship.
Talk too long, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's quite okay. We need to hear that. All right, let's stand up and spread out. We're going to praise our God. Amen. So cute. My daughter the other day, she was like, Mommy, that's not our God. It was some type of show or whatever. I was like, you're right, darling. It's not. She's like, Jesus is our God. And I was like, Amen. that's my girl. <laughs> oh, man. Out of the mouth of babes. All right. Well, let's just give him the praise, glory, and honor. Lord, you are worthy and worthy to be praised. Let's go ahead and dim the lights, please. Lord, you are worthy. Violently, they grabbed his arm as they tightly strapped each wrist. With the hellish looks that a strong armed soldier whip clenched in his fist. Laced with chips of bone, they beat him hard from his shoulders to his feet. And it sliced right through his olive skin, just like razors through a sheet. Countless times the blood splattered as each inhuman lash was given. Several times his knees gave his flesh just hung like ribbons. Then surprisingly, he turned his head. Though the words he used were few, the soldier's face turned pale when he said, This blood is for you. Uncaringly, they tossed a garment across his weakened form, and his blood pressure fell deathly. As the crowds began to swarm, they forced him to carry his cross uphill. As his face they punched and smacked, while the splinters from the crisscross beam dug deep into his back. Through lack of sleep and dehydration, his tongue began to swell. And weakened by his loss of blood, this prophet teacher fell. When he did, some blood splattered on a man named Simon's shoe. And as he bent to wipe it off, the prophet looked and said, Simon, this blood is for you. This blood can save the soul, heal the sick, mend the heart. This blood can give you access to the very throne of God. This blood is for you, the blood of the Lamb. Then they pounded a spike from the bones in his wrists, bursting arteries and veins. And as they dropped the cross in the hole they dug, his body convulsed with pain. Never a soul shall find. He tilts his face towards heaven with full control of his mind. With more 
tools, my doubts, mm, and it calls my fears. Hallelujah. And it dries all my tears. Yes, all my tears. The blood. Strength. Oh, the mm, from day to day, it will never lose its power. And it reaches to the From day to day, it will never lose its power. Hallelujah, Lord. And it soothes my doubts and calls my fears. Rise for my tears. Yes, it does. Oh, the blood that gives me strength. Oh, from day to day, it will
how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Lord, we worship you. You are alive. You are risen. The grave is come. The prodigals is welcome. The sinner now a saint. For the God who dies come back to life. And everything is changed. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Now, death, where is your sting? Oh, fear, where is your power? The mighty King of Kings has disarmed you, delivered and Sounds. Oh, praise his name forever. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. It's all throughout eternity. Our song will be the same. Hallelujah. From the grave, and on that day you call me home to heaven's sweet embrace. I'll see your scars, your open arms, the beauty of your face. Throw the tears of joy, I will live my voice in everlasting. Christ is risen from the grave. Death, where is your sting? Oh, fear, where is your power? For the mighty King of Kings has disarmed you. Delivered and redeemed, eternal life resounds. Oh, praise his name forever. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. And all throughout eternity. Song will be the same. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Come on, let me hear you all singing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's all we have is singing. Hallelujah. All throughout eternity, a song will be the same. Hallelujah. 
Christ has risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On the day you call me here, heaven's sweet embrace. See your stars, your open arms, the beauty of your face. Of joy, I lift my voice in everlasting praise. Hallelujah! Christ is risen from the
believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that He will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, you are worthy. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection that Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. shaking together, it would still be rolling over. In the name of Jesus, you may be seated. Anointed worship, thank you very much. Amen. Father in heaven, 
for Apostle Stan, I ask you to let the anointing come down and touch him now. I know it already has, but double portion today, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is why we gather. It's the whole story of Christianity. Amen. So let him teach and preach and flow in the spirit and say, what do you want to say, Lord? Let him have it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I saw in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within and on the backside and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor on the earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And it wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I saw, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood lambs that had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he took the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, each of them having harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang as it were a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof, because thou wast slain and redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the number of them ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature in heaven, and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that have heard us saying, Blessing, honor, glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb and the four beasts said, Amen. The congregation says, Amen. Amen. I say, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his cross for the accuser of our brethren has been cast down. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there a place found any more in heaven. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Lord, we thank you for that finished work. We thank you that today we remember the greatest event in human history that you allowed yourself to be arrested nailed to a cross, experienced the most painful death in human history so that you overcame and the devil's cast down. And we could be free. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, we ask for your anointing to come into the room to touch each person to understand what your crucifixion did for us. In Jesus' name. You recall when Jesus 
was in the upper room. This is what he said. And so we're going to have communion. So if I can have a couple of the elders come forth. And let's pray over this. We're going to read exactly his words this morning. Oh, excellent, excellent. Thank you. So as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples. Lord, we bless this unleavened bread and this grape juice. We bless it in Jesus' name. Go ahead and distribute it. This unleavened bread, I assure you it's unleavened because I made it yesterday. It's the regular bread recipe. I just took out the leaven and the honey, neither of which are supposed to be in sacrifices. And it represents his body that was beaten and broken and hung on the cross. He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. See, because Buddha's still in the grave. Uh, Muhammad still in the grave. And all the rest of the people that thought that they were something special, they're all in the grave. Only Jesus came out of the grave. Him and the about 500 people that came out the same day he came out. And I've got news for you. There's a whole bunch more coming out of the grave, including those people in the room. So have we got it distributed yet? A couple more minutes? Okay. Briefly. Everyone got one? Lord, in another place in 1 Corinthians, you tell us that we are to examine ourselves and ask for forgiveness before we take this. So, Lord, right now we ask you to forgive our sins and we confess our sins because you say, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Holy Spirit, bring to our mind anything that is displeasing in your eyes that we need to confess in Jesus' name. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay, so we'll do it together. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. You have to understand, they didn't, even though he had told them he was about to die, they didn't understand kind of like Leslie says to me sometimes, you don't listen. Well, I'm probably not the only man that fits into that category, right? Oh, come on, guys. Don't leave me standing up here with a comment like that. All right, ladies, is that true? There you see. See, If you want to find out what's wrong with Stan, just ask Leslie. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it as we did, break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, and they ate it. Then he took the cup. Gave thanks, Lord, and yes, we thank you for this cup. We thank you that this represents your blood that was shed for all of us. Gave thanks to them and saying, drink, eat, all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Then he went to the Garden of Geshmone, which is the way you pronounce it in Hebrew, which actually means oil press. 
said to the disciples, sit here while I go yonder. So he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be very sorrowful and heavy. Said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Tarry here and watch with me. Why? Because he knew he was about to experience a very, very painful death. He was hoping that there was a way that he could avoid it, even though before the foundation of the earth, he has already agreed that this was something that had to be. But he was still going to ask the Father, is there another way? He asked the disciples to pray with him. Why? Because wherever two or more agree is touching any one thing, it'll be given them. One can put a thousand flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. If you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you believe in me and the words that I say, then greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. He was hoping that there was another way. Nevertheless, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He came to the disciples. They were asleep. Peter, could you not watch with me just one hour? Pray. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, because the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Father, Father, if this cup may not pass away except to drink my drink, drink it, my will be or thy will be done. And he came and found him asleep again, and their eyes were very heavy. Now, when Leslie and I were in Israel on one of the tours we took over there, the tour guide explained, he said, and they let us taste it. They have a sweet wine, and I have to say, it was very good. Very sweet, but it was, he said that they call it hammer. And the reason they call it hammer is because when you drink that wine, you cannot hold your eyes open. And he was right. I mean, we all slept like a rock that night. I don't know what it was, but hammer's true. So he come back to the disciples and said to them, All right, sleep on. Take your rest. Behold, the hour's at, hours at hand. The Son of Man is, or should we say, has been betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand and doth betray me. When we were in Israel... There's a public place of Geshmone, which is the place for oil. These are olive trees. This is where they crush the olives and get the olive oil out of it. But our tour guide was also a police officer, so he arranged to get us into the private area. And the only ones you see in this area are just the people of the 28 people that were on our tour. And you recognize this person here? She was just singing her praise and worship just a moment ago. That's Leslie Ann. They say that these olive trees may in fact be the very olive trees because they, they live 2,000 years plus. They may be the actual olive trees where Jesus went and prayed. But they did say if they're not the olive trees, they're definitely the descendants of those olive trees. Here's another picture. This is the public area. As you can see, a lot of people out there, and they have it fenced off, but this is the public area for the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive trees. See, they live two, 3,000 years. Really, really old trees. 
and bear these olives every year. Couple of people there. Okay, it's not real clear that's me and Leslie. And the high priest arose and said to them, Answer thou nothing, what is it uh, which these witnessed against thee? Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest, whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto them, Thou hast said. In other words, he already knew that privately they had said, He is the Son of God. Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. In other words, that's when he returns on the last feast of trumpets. The high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have in any witnesses? Behold, now we have heard his testimony, his blasphemy. What think ye that they answered and said, He is guilty of death. And they did spit in his face and buffet him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. Can you imagine what these people are going to think when they see him split the heavens, returning on a white horse, and they have to answer for all of their sins? Peter denies Jesus. Peter sat without the palace, and the damsel came to him saying, Oh, you were with him. We were with Jesus with, G- with Galilee. He just he denied it before all, saying, I, not who, I don't know who you're talking about. We was gone out of the porch, and another maid saw him and said to them that there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. After a while, came to him, and they stood by and said to Peter, well, surely also thou art one of them for thy speech betrayeth. See, he didn't have his Texas accent. <laughs> Your speech betrayeth thee. And then began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately the cock crew, because Jesus had told him earlier that same night, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. Excuse me, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. (coughs) Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said, Before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, Aren't thou the king of the Jews? And he said, Thou sayest. So now we have not only the high priest that privately, but now we also have the governor that has said, Yes, he is the Christ. Thou sayest. When he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. And said, Pilate to him, Do you not hear what these witnesses are saying against you? He answered, Not a word. Then the crowd decided that they were going to choose Barabbas. That's the scapegoat. As you recall in Leviticus 16, 14, once a year, they would bring two goats to the high priest. They would cast lots. One goat was released. That's called the scapegoat. And he was allowed to go free. The blood of the other goat was then put into a golden bowl. And he would take it into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, which is the golden chair of God, and he would sprinkle it before the mercy seat eastward. Now, that's really important. On one side of the Ark of the Covenant, which is a giant chair, mercy seat eastward seven times. So he dips it 
dips his finger, sprinkles it, dips his finger, seven times. It was such a big deal that they put little bells around the bottom of his garment so that as he moved, it would make a sound. They also put a rope around his ankle because if he got too close to the Ark of the Covenant, did something wrong, he would fall down dead. And they weren't going to go into the Holy of Holies to try to pull him out. So the rope was to pull him out in case he died. That's what a big deal it was. That's what they're talking about. So the governor feast says, all right, it is a custom that we release one of the prisoners. Who would you like for me to release? Now he's thinking they'll say release Jesus, a good man that had done nothing. But no, instead the crowd said, no, whom do you want to release? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy, now what is the envy? Because they wanted to kill the son and take his kingdom. He was taking too much of their glory, too much of their power, too much of their attention, because crowds of 5,000 people would gather to hear him, but they didn't pay attention to the high priest. So that's the envy. Envy is having something of someone else that you don't have. For he knew that envy had delivered them, delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him and said, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. God had warned Pilate, in this case, don't have anything to do with this guy. That was very smart. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and instead destroy Jesus. The governor answers to them, which of the twain would you choose for me to release? They said, Barabbas. Pilate says, well, what shall I do then to Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. And the, and the governor said, why? Why? What evil has he done? Now, this is the secular side saying he hadn't done anything wrong. But it's the high priest. It's the Christian side. Now think about this. I remember when Prophecy Club first started in 1993, the fellow that actually asked me to start the radio program, Prophecy Club, that uh, was the manager of the radio station, later we became real good friends, and he said, Stan, he said, I can tell you right now that your, your biggest critics, the people that will attack you in the ministry the most, are not the secular people. It's Christians. Now, some 40 years later, he has been proven right many times. See, what comes after Christians are other Christians. And the woman would raise with purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. In her hand was a golden cup full of the filthiness of an abominations of her filthiness. And on her head was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman, this is talking about the Catholic Church, I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The Catholic Church will come after many people, including their own people. You mark my word, Bible says it, the Catholic Church will kill thousands, probably millions of people in the future. It's the Christians that come after the Christians. That's what happened here too. The secular pilot, he said, why? What has this guy done? 
Wow, what evil has he done? But they cried even the more, saying, let him be crucified. Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather atonement was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Now, this next thing is really important. Then all of the chief priests and all of the Jews, all of the people, said his blood be upon us and our children. Do you think that came to pass? Yeah. Because Israel is supposed to be the greatest nation in the world, not America. Israel is supposed to be the most blessed. The gold and silver is supposed to be given to Israel. But instead, they are constantly attacked. I don't have to tell you all the woes that Israel has. Lots of them. So they released Barabbas, and when they had scourged Jesus, now scourged, what is that? I have a couple of examples up here. These are something like what he was whipped with. Now if you look at that, there's pieces of lead here with a, a sharp thing on it. Try to imagine being hit with those. You know, just one time, I don't even know if we could even stand it. I can tell you I couldn't. I got hit in the back of the hand with a racket one time playing racquetball. I passed out. have a very low threshold of pain. They hit me one time and I'm gone. I'm out. <laughs> but these are Roman... Help me, help me uh, Doug. What, what do you call them? No. Flagrum. 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 Right, okay. Roman flagrums. They said this is probably something like what he got hit with. And how many times did they hit him? Why? Why not 40? That's right, because 40 times is supposed to kill him. Well, I don't know, you know, probably two or three times of me and I'd be gone, you know. <laughs> Wait, what's this other thing here? Somebody got a surprise for him here. I'm probably going to know. Oh! Oh, oh, okay. okay. Well, I won't show you that yet, but that's good. <laughs> so they, 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 him, they, they deliver him to be scourged or whipped, delivering him to be crucified. Whoops. <laughs> the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered him the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. Now, Ken Peters said he saw in a vision Jesus on the cross. And he said, I'll assure you, he was naked. There was nothing on him at all. That was part of the embarrassment. That was part of the punishment. Stripped him, put on a scarlet robe. Why a scarlet robe? Because they're making fun of him because that's what kings wear. And when they had plaited the crown of thorns, we normally have a crown of thorns up there, and a reed in his right hand. Why a reed? Because kings hold a scepter. So they're mocking him, making fun of him a reed in his right hand, and then they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. These guys, when Jesus returns on a white horse, and he really is King of Kings, I would not want to be in their shoes. They spit on him. They took a reed and smote him on the head. After that, they mocked him, and they took the robe from off of him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. Then they compelled Simon to carry his cross. 
and they took him into a place called Golgotha, which being interpreted is the place of the skull. Hang on, I got a picture of it. It's not clicking. Ah! All right, I'll get to it in a minute. I thought I'd put it next. I intended to put it next. And they gave him wine mingled with myrrh. Why? Because this is supposed to dull the pain. He didn't want to dull the pain. He's supposed to experience every bit of the pain to wash our sins away. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever man should take. And it was the third hour. This is important. What time is the third hour? What's the first hour? First hour is when sun rises, which is normally in those days, that time, about 6 o'clock in the morning. So the third hour would be, like she says, about 9 o'clock in the morning. And they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over him, King of the Jews. Now that's what Pilate wrote. So they came to him and says, don't put that. Say so he said he was, he said, no, what I've written, I've written. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, on the other left. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. I had someone email me this week saying, do I have to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name? And I said, no. You do not have to be baptized in Jesus' name. A lot of people said, no, it can't be just baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, like the Scripture said. You have to baptize them in Jesus' name. Now, when I baptize people, I don't take a chance. I'm happy to say all four of those. So I say all four of them. But here's an example. The two thieves, one on each side, did not get pulled off of the cross and baptized. Yet Jesus said for him simply saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was enough to get him saved. Is baptism absolutely positively necessary? I think it is very, very, very important. But that proves it's not actually necessary. I think it can be something simple as Jesus be my God. And they passed by and reviled him, wagging their heads saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and build it back in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise the chief priest. See, it's important that the chief priests approve the sacrifice. They approved it. Everything that's needed to happen for Jesus to literally be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, everything was fulfilled. Exactly. The chief priest mocked him with the scribes and the elders, saying, Ha! He saved others, but himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we'll believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Now, why didn't he come off the cross? He was supposed to die. See, because... Lucifer thought he was going to get the kingdom when he killed the son. But he didn't understand he lost his kingdom by killing the son. He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. It's because he went on the cross that we believe him. Beaten on his head, beard pulled out, crown of thorns, 39 lashes, scourged, crucified, 
By the way, he probably did not have, this is the little, anyone know what's in here? Oh, man. Probably the nails were something like these. And somebody said, well, I thought they would bleed to death up there. I don't think that the nails were put here because it takes them about three days to die on the cross. Some of these guys get up there and get in enough pain, they would just pull right through. They would get off the cross. Literally, they would get off the cross by pulling through. I think it was put right there. And other doctors have said, you put it right there, and they can't get down. Also, as it's driven in, it moves the, arterial, arter, the arteries and the veins out of the way. And it goes right into the wood. Probably they had a big blunt end out here, so we can't pull off that way. So putting it in there, there was probably very little blood. Okay, so then how do they die? That's a big question. So here's how they died. They, they put one foot on top of the other, and they probably put the nail in here, again, so they can't get off. And again, probably it had a big head on it, so they couldn't pull off. So they're like this, and after they've been up there for a few hours, their legs start giving out, because what they would have to do, they had to push up. to take a breath because they're hanging there, okay? First few hours, not a problem. Maybe the first day, but after a couple of days, they just give out. No water, no food, and so they literally asphyxiate until finally they, and they can't, they don't have strength enough to push up again. So they actually died from asphyxiation. And up here, it was actually saying King of the Jews in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, I believe, are the three things that they wrote it up. And when the sixth hour come, okay, so the first hour is six o'clock, the third hour is nine o'clock, so the sixth hour is what? <laughs> about 12 o'clock. So now we're about noon. At the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from noon to three o'clock, it was dark over the whole area. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. How long was he on the cross? Okay, six o'clock to nine o'clock is three hours, let's put it that way. And then 9 o'clock, that's another 3. And then 6 hours, that's another 3. He was actually on the cross about 9 hours. Correct? And when the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now, why is that important? Because the veil of the temple, we have three areas in the temple. We have the outer court, the inner court, and then we have the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant is. And no one could go in there but the high priest, and then only once a year, and then only after he had proper, properly sacrificed for his cleanse to be forgiven. And that's the reason he had the bells and the rope on him and everything. But the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom 
So now people could see into the Holy of Holies. They could see the Ark of the Covenant. That's significant because what Jesus did was rip the veil so that we can approach God. So when it says the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, it's saying now Jesus allows you to enter into God because he is the way, the truth, the way. No man comes to the Father but by him. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. If they have not been able to come out of the grave, they certainly can't get you out of the grave either. And when the centurion which stood over him saw that he cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. So this centurion, probably saved. Then Jesus was buried. And uh, he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in the sepulcher, which was hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone onto the door of the sepulcher. Now, this is probably the way it worked. So there was king of the Jews signed, or signs put up above him, and they, put, they normally crucified them along a big interstate, well, you know, where people walked a lot of, because it was meant to intimidate, it was meant to scare others so that they would not make the same mistake. So they crucified them in a very, very public place, took off all their clothes, so they hung up there three days totally naked. Then at the right time, when they, it was sundown and they, they had to go to the, the next feast day. So in this case, they went to break the legs of all three of the people on the cross. Because if they broke the legs, then they wouldn't be able to push up and they would die pretty quickly because they would just hang there. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. They marveled that he had died so quickly. As a result, they had to make sure. My guess is the centurion, what do you think? Was he right-handed or left-handed? My guess is he was probably right-handed. So he has a sword in his hand. Jesus is on the cross. Where would he have stabbed him? Would he have, excuse me, I didn't see you standing there. <laughs> would he have stabbed him from this direction? Or do you think he'd have just walked up and stabbed him like that? I think he got stabbed on the left side. I think it probably went right here, went right to the heart, because that's the whole point. They want to make certain he's dead. So I think it went in right about there. And then the Bible says, out came blood and water. Why blood and water? When a a person dies, the blood platelets begin to separate. And the blood is not just like normal blood it comes out as blood and water, so some doctor told me. Then his blood ran down, and the Bible says that the rocks were rent or cracked. There was a big earthquake. And the blood went down that crack, and then underneath that, some 600 years later, God arranged for Jeremiah to hide the Ark of the Covenant, and it was in a giant stone box with a stone lid. When Ron Wyatt found the Ark of the Covenant, I believe it was... April, I want to say April 6th, 1982. I'm sure of April, I'm sure of, of, of 1982. He said it was in a stone box. But right where the blood had dripped on the, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the stone lid was cracked 
allowing the blood to go down through the crack and it fell on the mercy seat westward. Why? Because over here on the mercy seat eastward was the blood of, bo of goats and bulls. Don't put Jesus' blood on top of that. So he said he took one of those little cartridges that your film comes in and he said he scraped up some of the blood into the to the cartridge and he took that to, I believe he said Galbraith Laboratories in I think it was Kentucky. Been a lot of years since I heard this story. Matter of fact, I first heard it in 1988 or nine, 1989. And he said they reconstituted it. Now, what is that? That's where they take the blood and they put in distilled water and it's warm and they put it in one of those swirling machines and they let it swirl for 24 hours to get it totally reconstituted. Then they took a drop of the blood, they put it underneath the microscope, and the man turned to him and he said, this is blood. Whose blood is that? He says, never mind, just tell me what you see. So they looked carefully at it, and it had only one set of chromosomes. Because normally, all of our blood has a set of chromosomes from the father, a set of chromosomes from the mother, and then you have X or Y chromosome to delineate between male and female. But this blood only had one set of chromosomes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was the other side. And one day, he said, you'll be able to go into that cave because the Ark of the Covenant has not been moved. He said, you'll be able to go into that cave, you'll be able to look, and you'll be able to see three cross holes, a cross hole, a cross hole, a cross hole, in the center cross hole to the left of the cross hole, there is a crack. Underneath that is the Ark of the Covenant, and Jesus' blood is still on the Ark of the Covenant to this day. See, I, I told you August 15th of, 20, of 2015. Get my dates right. 2015, August 8th. Saturday night, Lord... I don't have anything to say for the sermon tomorrow morning. What do you want to say? And I heard an audible voice. I promise it said, this is the time of miracles. As the judgment hits, so are my miracles. Miracles like no one has seen. Going back to, uh, to Adam and Eve. You tell them, I will never leave them nor forsake them. And as the judgment hits, I will show up and I will meet the, be the devil, entrance, step for step, pound for pound, everything he does. Ron Wyatt said when he was in that Ark of the Covenant chamber, an angel came to him, actually two angels, he said, because the, the see there's just a box, a stone box, under, actually it's not stone, it's acacia wood, underneath there, actually it's shittim wood, underneath there, but the lid has the two angels and the wings, it's made of 600 pounds of solid gold. No human could lift it. These two angels lifted it off for him. And inside he found only the two Ten Commandments. Anyway, enough of that. I spent a long time on that. We've talked about that before. Anyway, so when they can show them cross hold, cross hold, cross hold, the blood of Jesus dropping on the Ark of the Covenant, it will literally prove that Jesus is the Lamb of God. It will prove that the Bible is true, the story of Moses is true, it will prove that the Jews are the chosen race and it will also prove the land of Israel belongs to the Jews. And when they reveal this to the world, 
there will be instant war because every Muslim in the planet will then turn to attack Israel. Right now, there's a lot of commotion going on in Israel, and my program, I think, Monday is, is this war about to start. Let's go on, though. So those three crosses, something like that. When we were there in Israel, remember the, where was he crucified? In a place called Golgotha, which is the place of a skull. Do you see a skull? For those of you who haven't been shown it, take just a second, there's a skull. Not here, up in this area. There's a skull there, do you see it? Okay, I'll give you a little bit better hint. There it is. Eyeball, eyeball, mouth, and nose. Let me back up, see it? Eyeball, eyeball, mouth, nose. Place of the skull. Now, unfortunately, that's been torn. Somebody busted all, all of this area here out. They wanted to remove that proof. And if they could, they would remove all of the proof of Jesus. But I got a picture. I took that picture. This is just outside the garden tomb. This is where Jesus was actually buried. Now I'm going to try to explain to you. You're going to see a close-up. Right here is a trough where the stone was rolled over it. As I recall, I believe he said the stone is like 18 inches thick and 12 feet across, and it's round. And when it's open, it's over here. And then as it closes, it rolls over here like this, and then it stops right there against this abutment. I'll show you. This is me wearing this funky hat Leslie told me to wear. And I'm pointing to what sealed it. When I was a kid, I thought, well, when they sealed the tomb, they probably sealed it with wax. What was the fear? The fear was, because he said he would rise from the grave, the fear was that some of his disciples would come and steal the body and say, oh, he rose from the dead. So they went to Pilate. They said, okay, take a group of soldiers and make it secure. See that, that nobody gets the body. So that morning, on a Sunday morning, there was a group of soldiers there, and an angel arrived and moved that 12-foot stone door and opened it back up, and when it did, that spike, how do I say this? Okay, so there's a, a stone like this. They drove a spike in, and that spike is about that big around. It drove that spike straight into there so that the stone could not be removed. But when you're there and you get a close-up of that spike right there, which I'm about to show you, you can see something really powerful just roll that stone open and sheared that spike right off. An angel did. Now let's get a little closer look. So the Bible says that they had to stoop to get in. The door, you should have been over there if you didn't want to stoop, but the, it was just a small door you had to stoop to get in. Everything fits about this particular place we believe, archaeologically, this is the place where Jesus was buried. Here's another picture of it. Here's the stone abutment where the stone stopped. You can see the trough where the stone rolled down there. Another picture of it. Can you see it? 
Oh, by the way, if you walk over in here, about right here is an area where you can sit down and kind of have a little church service. And Ron did. And I've got video of him talking. And we were standing actually about right in here where he told us how he found the Ark of the Covenant. And right over here is where the Ark of the Covenant is very close to there. That's probably all I should say. Uh, then here's another shot of it. Another shot. Now this is the trough where the stone rolled and then as it rolled over it stopped here. And I realize, okay, how would I say this? This is looking away from this abutment. To get this shot you have to turn back like that. So when the stone was Open, it rolled that way, down this way. Open is over here, it rolled this way, and it rolled up against this, and it stopped. That's a better picture of it. So the stone rolled here, and then was stopped right there. People had to stoop to get in. Is this interesting? You should be there. I was just thinking this morning, maybe I should get up another tour to go to Israel. But I think I'll wait till we hit oil, and then there'll be a lot of people want to go. Short door stoop, door stop, iron spike here, path for the stone door there. There's the iron spike. Here's a little closer shot of it. A little closer shot of it. I just told the group, I said, I'm going to walk over and put my finger on it. I won't say anything to the group. And then we'll talk about what it is later. So I put my finger on it. There's the iron spike. And there's a real close-up look at it. You say, well, if that's 2,000 years old, wouldn't it be rusted? No, it's very, very dry in Israel. So a little bit of rust on it, not much. This is the plan of the tomb. When we walk in, this is the visitor area. You walk over here, and then you're able to look through here. We believe Jesus was laid here. Probably an angel was here. Probably another angel was here. And this number five here was either where his feet or where his head was. Probably this was, let's see if I get my directions right, probably where his head was because it was tradition that they be facing eastward looking for the Messiah to return. Here's another picture actually looking from the visitor area. So this was probably where the head was and then the feet down here, just a guess. Very emotional thing to be there. Another picture of it. Now to show you how the stones worked in that area, this is some tombs quite a ways from there, like an hour away. But once again here it has a stone that rolled into place to, kept, to keep the tomb sealed. Leslie and I there, people in our tour. This is Yaki. He was our tour guide. Now, probably next week we will see, but probably next week I'll be talking about the resurrection and what happens after there. So, 
Lord, we ask that you speak to our heart. Anyone that is not saved, to have them get their name written in the book of life so that they also can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And I, there we go. Oh, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I wanted. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let's pray the prayer. Let's all say it. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit I'm a sinner. I confess with my mouth. And I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Christ. Died on the cross. Arose three days later. I receive his blood to wash my sins away, to write my name in the book of life, to keep me holy, and to save me in the day of trouble. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, be sure and send us an email. If you have prayer requests, come on up. I'll be happy to pray for you. And also, we have some guests. Be sure and get over to guests and welcome them and see if you can talk them into coming back and being part of our congregation. In the meantime, God bless you. Thank you for coming.